as you're turning back to Hebrews chapter 2, one of the things we don't want to lose sight of when we're studying the Bible, especially as we start delving into some of the the depths, as we start paying closer attention and uh, maybe we start getting into theology and, and doctrine is we don't want to lose sight of kind of some some simple things like like why was Jesus made like the brethren right that's one of the points here in Hebrews chapter 2 why was Jesus why was the son of the triune god had made like the brethren and even in the a, a hymn like what a friend we have in Jesus Yes, it identifies that we have sins, that we are sinners. Um, and yet we, we see this, this love and this intimacy, this kindness and this, this gentleness uh, in, in our Jesus, in our, our, our friend, and in this one who, who would take us into his loving arms uh, take us and shield us. And, and I don't want us to lose sight of those illustrations and those pictures. And it's one of the, the great reasons why we, we sing songs and especially hymns is because other people, even poetic people, for lack of a better term, have, have really meditated on, on verses and meditated on theology, meditated on doctrine, meditated on on who Jesus is and who God is. And then they bring that to us in, in picture form. So that while we live, we, we, we don't forget. We, we, we don't want to live life as though Jesus were like our, our corporate boss, right? Most people don't really think that highly of their, their boss. Especially their corporate boss, a boss that they've never even met or seen. Um... They're just there setting rules, obligations, goals, you know, performance plans, Gantt charts, uh, all these different things that are in place. And who are they? And they don't even, they, they, don't, they don't know me. They don't know the business. They don't know the day-to-day operations. And, and you know, we tend to think of, of God that way. Like he's just, you know, out there just like some corporate boss who doesn't know what's going on. And yet Hebrews gives us kind of a, a picture of, of, of a really intimate hands-on, right? Hands-on all the way to the point where, where Jesus comes and walks on earth. And even to the point of even for, for a while, for a little while, is made lower than the angels. And where Jesus is, is made like the brethren. But... You know, this isn't just, you know, some episode of Undercover Boss. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, the show Undercover Boss for a corporate CEO, you know, for this big major company will will dress up differently and, and, you know, he'll go work at Walmart, right? And, you know, just to see what is it really like and, and to talk to people and to see how the orders are taken or, or customers are served. And, you know, it's Undercover Boss. And, and then he, you know, he's going to take that and just, hopefully go back and, and make improvements and corrections. Well, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come as an undercover boss. Jesus came 
with, 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 with a mission. Jesus came with a point and a purpose. And, and there were many points and purposes, but one of the aspects of that in Hebrews 2 especially is that of this high priest. This high priest, which immediately uh, the Jews would relate to and understand and identify with is this is the man of God. He, he's the one who's going to take the offering. He's the one who's going to be the mediator between God and man to, to place the sacrifice on the altar. But Jesus is not only that high priest, but he's also the lamb. And that's where things get very, very interesting. Let me read for you uh, what we're going to cover in today's uh, part four. Hebrews uh, chapter 2 verse 14 since then the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives for surely he does not give help to angels but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What a, what a beautiful passage. And so why is salvation so great? As we look at kind of the overarching theme of Hebrews chapter 2, that, that salvation is so great that, that we need to not uh, neglect. And in fact, we need to heed the warnings uh, that are laid out. We need to pay closer attention. We need to really, again, understand the gospel. And, and what we don't want to do is take the gospel for granted because we've heard the term gospel. Or we've heard the term death, burial, and resurrection so many times that it's just lost its meaning. And so one of the things I was asked, thinking about was, again, just visiting the term sacrifice. What is sacrifice yes, yes there's there's the sacrifice the atoning sacrifice the lamb sacrifice but there's also the act of of giving something up giving something up and so we see this really fulfilled in Jesus and and it didn't start in Hebrews and it didn't start in on the cross it started in the very first pages of scriptures and and so what this tells us is this was no accident. This was not just an accidental uh, martyr that occurred. No, in fact, sacrifice is the key element to, to the, mission and the, pers- uh, the mission and the purpose of Jesus. We, we see this in chapter 3 of Genesis where there needed to be a blood atoning sacrifice for the sin of Adam and Eve. They attempt in their own humanity, in their own works, to cover up their sin symbolically with their own fig leaves. And yet it's, it's God himself who provides the covering. He's the one who provides the blood 
atoning sacrifice. And from that point on, we see the altar sacrifice established throughout the Old Testament. That when there's sin, when there's disobedience, there needs to be a payment for that sin. That sin needs to be in blood. And that was a representation. That was a a representation of a substitutionary death. That this lamb, this dove, this calf is a substitute for you. And so we see this picture laid out. Uh, throughout the scriptures. It wasn't random. It was very systematic. It was very orderly. We see terms like recompensed or reconcile, uh, you know, substitutionary atonement. Uh, and all these terms, the, uh, the kinsman redeemer, the scapegoat, all these terms would then build on each other so that we would fully understand and comprehend what Jesus would do for us. It wasn't robotic. It wasn't impersonal. Uh, it wasn't just, again, a matter of walking up to the altar and you know, paying a fee or walking up to the altar and just slapping any animal on there. No, this, this became very personal. Jesus was not a, a stone image made by human hands or marble or rock. No matter how big the image is, if it's made by human hands, it's made by a human, right? And it would be robotic, and it would be impersonal, it would have no life. Well, Jesus didn't come that way. And so we see that God so loved the world, he gives his only begotten son. Um, that God would then sacrifice his own son for our sin. And so today we're going to look at then four keys, um, four keys to the sacrifice of salvation. The sacrifice of salvation. The first one is the sacrifice was for the children. Uh, the second key is the sacrifice delivers us from slavery. The third key is the sacrifice was not for angels. And the fourth one is the sacrifice aids those who are tempted. And so just taking a big giant step back for a second. Remember chapter 2 as we've kind of gone the last you know four times. It was broken down, and we're looking at how great salvation is. And the first thing we saw is salvation is great because, because you know, we, we learned to heed the warning, the warnings. Uh, we see that uh, the Son of Man, who was promised a long time ago, is part of the salvation. That we are, are the sons. We're the sons. And today we're going to see even more of how we're, we're the children of, of salvation. And then... Hopefully, hopefully we see um, that there's, there needs to be honor because of this sacrifice of salvation. So the first key point we want to look at is that the sacrifice for the children, verse, verse 14. Um, since then, let me, let me back up a, to verse 13. And again... I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me, since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the angel, or that, that is the devil. There's a Freudian slip, huh? Well, 
The first thing we see is, since then, the, the, the children. The children. Who, again, who are the children? Who are the children? The children are, are, are the brethren. The children are the people. The children are, are us. Now, we're the children. We're, we're the ones who uh, are part, then, of God's family, which, again, is a, a very intimate identification it, the structure is is not that of a of a of a business or a corporate structure the 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 illustration is family god the father right we're sons we're children that's not by mistake that the church is the bride of christ that's a very intimate very personal very deep relationship human relationship not robotic and so God continues to make these, these points to us that even in salvation, especially in salvation, especially in the sacrifice, that this is a, a personal and a human thing. And so we see in verse 14 that the children share in flesh and blood, that, that is humanity, and he himself, he himself, that is Jesus himself, also partook of the same. So Jesus himself is in flesh and blood. Jesus himself also walked on the face of the earth. Jesus himself in this context is also a Jew. It, it's, it's an amazing thing. But, but, it, but it continues that through death, now, now listen to this, through death, he, that is Jesus, might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, maybe we've heard this so many times, we don't give it much thought. But if you stop for a second, think, wait a minute. Through death, I conquered the power of death? See, if you make that mistake, you make the same mistake Satan made. Satan thought that the victory would be in killing Jesus, right? Why? Because Satan's tool, Satan's power is death and destruction. That's what he loves to do. It's his, his history is to, to, to kill, and we'll see why in a, in a little bit. But, but this idea that, that in death, Satan would have victory, Right? It had to have been his thought and his plan. If, if Satan had any concept at all that death on the cross was actually the ultimate victory, he, he wouldn't have wanted that to happen, right? And yet it was, it was the devil who entered into Judas to betray him, right? This is part of Satan's goal and plan was to, for, for Jesus to die. But that gets twisted around that it's instead it's through death Jesus renders powerless him who had the power of death. We see in, in, in Job 1 that, that God grants and, and allows the, the devil to, um, to wreak havoc on the world to even to the point of death. Um, and so death then has become one of these, these uh, this power, a tool for the devil, and, and, and here we see that, that Jesus flips that around. And so Jesus comes, and then through his death, he actually renders now 
Satan powerless. Well, we see this phrase here, um, different phrase in, in different versions of the Bible, but verse 14, likewise, he also partook of the same. It, it's in the Greek here, we see this word koinonia, which is a, a very special word in, in the scriptures and in, in the Bible. It, it so transcends um, community, you know, we could have a, a community building, a, you know, a Lions Club, an association. But when, when you see the, the term koinonia, what you see here is this, again, this deep, intimate fellowship. It, it's a fellowship. It's a, it's a unity. It's a partaking of, of the same. It's, it's that closely united. It's a, it's a spiritual indication. And so we see that Jesus then uh, spiritually unites himself with the children, with, with people in the, in the flesh. How? He does this again through death. Through death. He, he tastes death as we saw earlier in, in verse 9 of chapter 2. He, 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 he experiences all of humanity through, through birth. He, he experiences that. He experiences pain. He experiences hunger. He experiences emotions of sadness. He, he, he experiences all that life has to experience, even temptation. He experiences all of it. And in that, we, he has fellowship and koinonia with us. And it's through that that then we are able to have salvation and then future glorification. So the results of this death then is that we are delivered from, from Satan's grip. And so in verse 15 we see, And he might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their life. Well, the, those again is the, is the children. The children are, are 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 afraid of death. Why are they afraid of death? Why are people afraid to die? Yes, there's this element of you love your family, you love your friends, maybe you even love your life. But the actual fear of death and the fear of standing before the judge of the earth, the fear of actually where, where do I go if if I were to die today? Now. We don't talk a lot about sin, even in general, as much anymore in the world. We don't talk about it much in the church. Uh, so this idea of, of a fear for, for hell has almost escaped us, which is a, a brilliant strategy and plan. So if there's no fear of hell, then, then I don't need to worry about that. So I don't need to do this, right? If I'm not worried about hell, then I don't need to worry about heaven either. If I don't worry about Satan, then I don't, have to, I don't need a Jesus. If I'm not worried about judgment, then I don't need a Savior. See how it goes hand in hand? And so we see that there, there's this, this need for delivery, right? For deliverance for those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So Satan used this tool of death. Right? Because we, we understood that, look, at death, game over. At death, at death, game was over. And so, 
people lived with this kind of idea, well, okay, whether it's the scales of justice, whether it's the, the works and the deeds that you have done that you're outweighing, okay, today if I were to die, I'm going to be okay. So today's a good day to die. Then tomorrow something happens and now you're, you're afraid. I don't want to die today because if I die today, I would go to hell for sure today. And, and so in that sense, Satan has this, this control and this, this power, this enslavement over us. And the fact is, we sin. We rebel. So we should all feel in bondage and in slavery all of our lives. As much as I love my sweet little girl, if you want to see a nice little bundle of sin, um, there it is. So it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. I can look at my children here and, and it's so funny that it doesn't matter how young or old you are, we all exhibit some of the same things, right? And, and so we then all our lives are subject to this fear of death, like, like the bondage of slavery. And this is the picture we keep seeing through the scriptures. We see this in, in Romans, right? And then it's, it's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that then frees us from the bondage of sin. And so we see here that, that Christ comes to deliver us, to free us from this. And from the fear of death. So the second key here is the sacrifice delivers us from, from, from this bondage of slavery. And so we don't have to uh, be a, a servant or as, this, as Romans says, a, a slave to disobedience, a slave to our sin anymore. We don't need to fear death anymore we have no fear of death in fact death is 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 you know gives us then now this new life this new glorified body this new home um, why fear that and so we don't have fear and one of the blessings and one of the most difficult things i do is is visitation in hospitals. And, and it, it hurts because you, you see family and friends of people you love. But it is amazing to be at the bedside of people who know their Jesus. People who know where they're going. People who can't wait to be in the presence of God. And there is this amazing peace. There's this amazing joy and I know firsthand in seeing the difference between those who know and who have their Savior and those who do not. It's incredible. It's incredible. And so, Jesus' death, his death then, his sacrifice, actually pays the penalty so that the game is over. Victory, Jesus, not the devil, not to the slavery. Well, the third key to sacrifice is this help is, is it, it's not for the angels. Verse 16. For surely he does not give help to angels, for he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Now, that seems kind of a random sentence, doesn't it? 
Well, again, keep in mind we're in the context when we're reading a, a book like Hebrews. There's there's a bigger picture happening. Remember in chapter one that there's there seems to be this confusion within Judaism with with the role and the and the placement of of where is Jesus compared to to the angels, right? So these Jews that that you know were not around to see Jesus in the flesh are trying to sort things out still. And, and so they're confused a little bit. And, and so part of Hebrews is, look, what you need to understand is that Jesus is better than the angels, right? Even though, and, and the rub is, yeah, but the angels are, are spiritual beings and they're in heaven and Jesus was on earth. And so, you know, there, there's confusion. How, how, how does this all work out? Well, here what we see is, Again, that what seems in a rut, uh, random, but it's not. It's just you know how rabbit trails work. You know, you're, you're, you you have a topic, and then you, you you have to mention or reinforce or or give background or illustration to it. And then, but let's not forget, we we still have this issue over here, right? And so that's what happens. Is it okay as we're we're making emphasis of Jesus and in the humanity of, of being in flesh and blood and, and dying on the cross for our sins um, in, in, in the humanity of that. But, verse 16, surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. So, this help, which is not for angels, and why not? Well, because they don't need it. Angels have a, a role. Angels have a, a position, and that position is to be messengers. They're messengers. Uh, they're, they're not the Savior. Uh, they're, they're not the ones that are, in hum, are human that need saving. So they're not the Savior, and they're not the ones that need saving, right? Um, and so the sacrifice isn't for them. They don't need that help. But he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Now, you might notice that it's not descendants of Abraham. If it's descendants of Abraham, then we would be talking about Jews. And, and even tangentially, the Abrahamic covenant, we would be talking about uh, all of mankind. But this is actually in reference to Genesis 3.16. The descendant of Abraham is the seed of Abraham, which is actually Jesus himself. And so... The key of the sacrifice then is that, that he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Well, how so? How, what do you mean he gives so there's a, a, an aid or help given to, to Jesus? Well, remember what is happening. What, what is happening here? God has done this incredible and amazing thing in the triune Godhead a piece of God Jesus comes from heaven and he comes in human form Emmanuel God is now with us that is a, an amazing thing to try to comprehend and to try to take in, okay? 
that God is now with us in human flesh, in human form. But again, he didn't come to be undercover boss. He came with a mission and, and a purpose. A mission and a purpose. And so this, this mission, this purpose is, is the sacrifice. It is the sacrifice. And so in this sacrifice, we see then the, the, the final key is to aid those who are tempted. That's us. So therefore, therefore, is again, you know, it's, it's that conjunction that connects these two ideas or contexts, you know, or sentences. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Why? That he might become merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So what do we have here? Well, first of all, we, we see that he had to be made. This is a must. We ask ourselves, well, why, why, why did God do it this way? It had to be done this way. Okay, but I probably might have done it a different way. It had to be done this way. This was the plan. This is the plan of the substitutionary death payment for sin by blood. That's always been the program. Always from the beginning. So he had to be made in the likeness of his brethren. In all things. Why? Well, for example, a couple of things. Two things. There's more. There's more. But here's just a couple things. That he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Okay, now, now we get into more of, of a position and a role of Jesus. Okay, in the example here now of why he had to be made like the brethren, that is in blood and flesh, right? Human form. Well, let's take the role of high priest, for example. Who is a high priest? A high priest, again, is that, that mediator who stands between God and man. This is, one of, again, one of the greatest examples of why uh, Catholicism has, has, has gone astray. Because what you've taken then is they, they have a very old covenant view of, of the hierarchy of the church uh, in, in, in a simple terms. And that is very, very clearly seen in the role of priests. Just, just the term itself, right? Priests. And maybe you are familiar with Catholicism a lot, a little, not at all. Maybe you only, only have a, some, some basic views. But just think of the relationship at confession. The relationship at confession where you as a human would sit with another human, a priest, so that he can be the mediator between you and God. See, that was the whole point of, of Jesus coming and the whole point of when the veil is torn on the cross, that there is no mediator. You don't need somebody else. You guys don't need to come to me to pray to God. 
you can pray to him yourself. Now, you can come to me and we can pray, but I am not going to absolve you from your sin. Well, this is what the role of the high priest was, is you would come to the priest with your offering, put the offering on the table. We will cut the offering, the, the blood. That's the payment for your sin. And I am the, the, the one who my job and my, my position is to, to be the mediator of this, to be the facilitator of this process. Well, as that person, you, there are a couple things that are kind of requirements. One is mercy. Being a merciful type of person. See, mercy is, is not getting what you deserve, right? So in a high priest, we would want a high priest that has the idea of, I don't want to punish you. You all deserve punishment, but what I would prefer is to have mercy on you. So bring your offering so you, we, I can give you mercy, right? I, you, you want the attitude of the priest to be a merciful one. You imagine coming with your, your offering and the guy's like, what? I, I wish you didn't bring it so that you wouldn't have forgiveness so that you would go to hell. I, or I'm just too busy. I, I don't want to deal with this. I, I've got a full agenda. And, you know, um, doing an altar for all of you is going to take up a lot of time. No, we, we, we want, again, that, that, that attitude of, of, of mercy that's like, as long as it takes, as many as it takes, how, how can I then be the, the mediator of this mercy? It's, 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 it's a, a great characteristic to have. And then we also see faithful, faithful high priest. The idea of being reliable, right? Imagine, you know, again, you're, you take you and your family and you're, you, you come in and the doors are closed. It's like, wait, wait a minute. I, I need forgiveness for my sin. If, if, if I turn around and walk out that door, I haven't made my sacrifice. My kids haven't made that, our sacrifice. Where's my atonement? Where, where's my, substitu my substitutionary death? I, I need this to happen, but my priest isn't faithful enough to be there. He isn't reliable. So these become two pretty important uh, characteristics or roles of a high priest. And so Jesus had to, had to be made like the brethren in order to then now take on this role of high priest. This has a lot of Old Testament fulfillment, covenantal promises attached to it. We, we won't get into all of that. But from the standpoint of him being able to identify now um, as a merciful, faithful high priest, what a great picture. What a great picture. Uh, you know, I went out yesterday to take a look at our generator. You know, it's getting cold. want to make sure it works. The last time, you know, we dealt with it, you know, took it to the shop tip-top working, did all the stuff that the guy said to do to winterize it, you know, so that when I go to turn it on, yesterday it turns on. Guess what? Nothing. Not, not even a... Right? Nothing. Completely unreliable. Well, what's the point of a generator? It's like all the power goes out, right? And you're, you're relying on that generator to work. Could you imagine a high priest that you can't rely on? Could you ima imagine a savior that you can't rely on? 
Jesus is the completely opposite of that. But there's, there's point and purpose. Why? That he, he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. What things? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Again, this term propitiation is, this is the appeasement. This is a common term that you see in, in sacrifices that are made to, to the altar. It's, this is the appeasement. This is the satisfaction. The satisfaction. Satisfaction is the, the agreement to accept the payment for sin. Okay, you have all this sin. You've done all this stuff. And, and you know what? The only thing that will satisfy the, the payment that I want to it, it isn't money. It isn't deeds. It isn't whipping yourself. It isn't imprisonment. The only thing that will satisfy the payment for your sin is the blood on the cross of Jesus. That's it. And so Jesus is, that's what's known as the propitiation or the, the satisfactory appeasement. It, it, that, that is then what the agreement for the satisfaction of payment for sin is. And so the role of the high priest is to be that mediator between God and man in presenting the sacrificial offering. And when that's Jesus... And somebody else assumes to take that role, that becomes a major problem, right? It's not just now a matter of, oh, well, they just do it a little bit differently. Or, or when you are trying to then presume upon taking over the role of the high priest, who is now Jesus, now we've got a different religion, it's a different program. He is the high priest. He is the mediator. He is the sacrifice. He is the propitiation, the only satisfaction for the sins. For all the people, that's all we need. And then finally we see verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Again, we may ask the question, and I've asked this question, why? Why this way? Couldn't he have, have just come to our aid without coming to earth? Yes, he could have. He's God. He could have done anything he wanted. That's not what he did. And, and then I think again, and, and, and I think of the... the the illustration here. I think of the terms and I go back and, and, and I pay closer attention. I think about this relationship of, of children. Of children, right? And I think, hmm. You know, I have children and it seems to me as a lot of times conversations and things that come up have to do with our personal experience as parents. Well, what did you do? How did you do it? You didn't do this. You didn't do that, right? There's, there's this desire in humanity, a desire in humanity to want to relate to others by knowing you relate to you, right? And, and that may be a little egocentric, self-centered, uh, really shouldn't matter at all. 
Uh, right now we see this in politics all the time. It's one of the greatest logical fallacies that, that will come up in arguments, I mean, nonstop, constantly. Well, how can you say that? Were you ever black? Were you ever homeless? Were, were you ever an immigrant? If you can't, then you can't comment on it, right? Okay, it's a, it's, it's, if, if, you, if you don't personally experience or identify something, well, then you, then you, you can't have any expertise on it. And so maybe part of this process is God knowing how we would be, God knowing that we would point fingers, that we would blame shift, that we would come up with excuses, um, that he's going to take all of that away. He's going to take away the excuse that, that you guys have to rely on me as a high priest. He's going to take that excuse away. We've got a better high priest. He's going to take away the excuse that you have to earn or do something. You know what? God will take care of that all himself. He's going to take away the excuse that, well, maybe you grew up on a remote island and you've never had a book or anything. You know what? Romans 1. I'm going to take care of that too. I'm going to show myself through creation. He's systematically taking away every single excuse one might have, including the excuse of identification and saying, you know what? I know what you went through because I was there too. I lived on, on the face of the earth. Jesus was tempted. We see this in the desert where the devil himself, just like Job, is face to face with Jesus, tempting him with everything he can possibly conceive of, even power, right? Jesus was tempted. And again, are you more tempted by not giving in to sin around you or more tempted by giving in to the sin around you? See, once you've given in to sin around you, you're not tempted anymore, right? You succumb to it. So by definition, Jesus was tempted and yet did not sin. His temptation was far greater than ours could ever have been. He was tempted. And in that, you know what? He gets it. He knows, he understands, he knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to thirst. He knows what it's like to have a friend who dies. He's walked on, on the earth. He walked into different villages and different cities and saw withering hands and, and the pain of leprosy and poor people and, and arrogant rich people. And he, he's seen it all. And so he himself was tempted in which he had suffered. He suffered. He sacrifices. Why? To come to the aid of those who are tempted. That's, that's me. That's me. He did this to come to my aid. He did this to come to your aid. Not just in salvation, but in day-to-day -day life as well. This then again goes back and makes him again this amazing merciful and faithful high priest. This makes him united with us in this sweet, sweet, deep fellowship. And this makes us not only brothers and sisters, but heirs with Christ, joint heirs with him. It, it can't be any 
more intimate. It can't be any more, more close or deeper. It's not just uh, a, a robotic, distant God. What a, what a personal, loving, kind Savior we have. And in this example then, as this merciful, faithful high priest. And so, a big part of our takeaway is, should be, don't become complacent in this. Don't think that we just show up to some religious event. That we just show up to some religious theology and doctrine that says, okay, I get it. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again on the third grade, boom, 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 done. We're good to go. That's not how he responded to us. No, he responded. um, Jesus, God loved us and sent us his son. And so don't become complacent. And as we enter into our our Thanksgiving uh, season, the thing that we should be most thankful for, most grateful for, is, is actually what Christ has done for us. Don't get lost in the fact that you've heard the story before. This is why in so many different ways, God keeps packaging this up for us, explaining it again so that we don't forget how great, how amazing, how powerful, how wonderful, how planned salvation is and that he already has victory over Satan. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for...